Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Good morning. I don't know if I said earlier, but I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I think most of you know that, but just in case uh, we have some visitors or people online, and uh, I just realized how janky my stand is because I decided not to use the podium, but this thing is uh, really floppy. So uh, hopefully it'll stay together as I get my sermon. I'm not planning on doing any pulpit stomps, but uh, you never know. Um, sometimes the spirit just leads. Uh, so today is the start of Advent, um, the beginning of the season before Christmas. Uh, now, now, technically, Advent's a season of preparation. Um, a time of fasting and prayer before the feasts and celebrations of the season of Christmas. It's kind of like Lent before Easter. But our culture of plenty um, does not do fasting well. We love the feast, right? Love the feast. Hate the fast. Hate the fast. Um, so technically, technically speaking, this is not the time yet to hang Christmas wreaths and to decorate trees. And, uh, but... We do. And, and so with discernment, the rest of us have to decide, well, what kind of person are we going to be? You know, the person that tells the guests to go home? You've arrived too early. It's time to go home. Um, you know, we're not expecting you, so I guess the party's over. I'm glad you came. Or you can say, well, we weren't expecting you this early, but uh, we're glad you're here. <laughs> okay, I guess the party's starting now. Um, and neither position is wrong. It kind of depends on where you are in your life. And, uh, and it does kind of say a little bit about who you are and what your priorities are. And for much of my life, for a lot of my life, I'd probably be a person that said, you know, because I'm an introvert anyways. So I'd just say, go home. It's over. You're done. The house isn't clean. I'm not going to get it done anymore. Whoa. And uh, the fun's all spoiled. No more party. But the older I become, the less rigid I try to be. <laughs> That's my wife cackling in the front row there. <laughs> um, and I want to be, I want to be <laughs> the person that says, come on in. The party's going to be so much better now that you're here. The party's going to be so much better now that you're here. And, and I, I, I really do love this season. Uh, growing up, I wasn't a Christian. Um, I didn't know about Advent. Um, I heard the term, and I just thought it was another, like, a fancy religious term for Christmas. Um, and even after I came to faith, the church I went to didn't follow any sort of liturgical calendar except for Easter and Christmas and maybe Good Friday. And so I didn't know. I still didn't know about Advent. Um, I didn't know that Advent um, is Latin, which mean, and it means coming, right? About the coming of Jesus, and you're preparing for Jesus, um, I didn't even learn that until seminary. So I'm telling you now, so you know. Um, so you don't have to go to seminary and go into debt so you can find out what this is all about. Um, anyways, that's just a little introduction. And uh, let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, I do thank you for this season. Lord, I, uh, I pray that your presence is made known, Lord, and that our hearts are prepared our hearts are prepared for what you can do, for the hope you bring, and that we can hold on to that hope. 
because we know that we're celebrating a birth 2,000 years ago. We're also getting ready for an eternity with you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so during this Advent season, we kind of do things a little bit differently. Um, so one thing, we started doing the Joy Jubilee, which means there's not like a sermon in the week of joy. Um, so, so I'm always like, oh, mm, how do we get into the structure of these sermons? But I decided this year we're just going to go over the Old Testament lectionary readings for Advent, um, the first readings. And this Sunday, it was Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. And so I'll be sharing just a little reflection. And this is going to be a lot different than the last couple weeks. The last couple weeks, especially last week, was like, this is my heavily researched dissertation I'm dropping on you. Um, this is more of just reflections and thoughts about the Christmas season, about Jesus. So, Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when the fire sets the twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on the behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue, when we continue to sin against them, you're angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us all away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you've hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are your people. Uh, this passage just starts out with a plea that God would show up. And uh, it's no wonder that this is the Advent text for the week because our theme this week is hope. And for, us, for there to be hope, there has to be an acknowledgement, a confession, right? That the world's not the way it should be, that things are not as they should be. And so the Advent reading, this was a lament, a song of mourning and of grief. The world's broken. And this portion of uh, the Isaiah, it's it set after the Babylonian exile, and there's a whole lot of things they get into with that. But, um, but Israel had forgotten its covenant with God, and they were conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and then they were finally allowed to return home by the Persians, all because Israel failed to honor their covenant with God. They had turned to idolatry and wickedness. Their leaders served their own interests rather than those of the people. And then the people, the people themselves, they followed their leaders. They were just like the leaders, right? They made sacrifices to false idols. They took advantage of one another, using one another for financial gain. They accused the innocents to cover up their own misdeeds. And uh, in my opinion, worst of all, they acted like they were still God's special people while doing all of that. Like they had this special relationship with him. Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. 
right? And they experienced that. They went into exile, and this prophecy is kind of set like after that, after they've all come home. But they're still doing that. The people are still being wicked. They're still forgetting God again. And you'd think that after being conquered, exiled, and passed around the nations, you know, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, you'd think that they would have learned something by now. But they hadn't. The people of Israel still forgot God. For all they experienced, for all that has happened to them, and for all the ways that God still showed up, they still failed to turn to God. And unfortunately, we, the spiritual children of Abraham, often fail to learn the same lessons. We live in the same world that they did, sinful and contrary to the will and the sign of God. The world is not as it should be, and we are not as we should be. And the evidence is all over the place, right? We can look to Ukraine, right? They're still engaged in fighting um, with the Russians, with their invasions, or the Hamas attacks just a month ago of Israel's response that's you know, just resumed starting again. Or closer to home, the failed fisheries that so many communities have been dealing with. Or declining caribou herds. Or the rate of murder and sexual violence to the women of our state. To the suicide rates, to the homelessness rates, to the, the number of mentally ill people that cannot access help. Shoot, I mean, just even just this weekend or this week, um, there's a big article about school attendance numbers and how chronic absenteeism, like, and if you look at the statistics, it's like um, people that miss, you know, more than two days of school, it goes from like 10% and you know, maybe 20% to 50, 60%, right? And, you know, of course, that leads to educational outcomes and the further decimation down the road. Or even more personally, right? How do we interact with all of this sin? Right? When we think of our friends and neighbors that are from Ukraine, um, and many of us have them, or that are from Israel, and many of them have them, or that are from Gaza, so many of us have them. What do we do? How do we pray? Or what do we do when we hear about the runs of salmon that do not come in, or the crab fisheries that do not open, you know? Or like the, the hunts that keep on remaining closed year after year because those herds just aren't coming back. Or when violence touches those that we love or ourselves, or we come into contact with those that suffer with housing insecurity or struggle with mental illness and cannot connect with a counselor or do not have access to medication. Right? We are all bystanders of sin, victims of sin, agents of sin. We're all of it. We're swimming in it. And it can seem overwhelming, actually, because it's overwhelming. <laughs> it is overwhelming. Right? I, can, I can't even deal with the weight of my own sin, much less of all the other things I mentioned. You know, the things in my own heart are bad enough. And to have hope is to take sin seriously. And remember, when I say sin, I'm not just talking about you doing bad things. Yes, I am talking about that. I'm talking about the cosmic weight of all the sin. The threat is real. Evil is real. And it is all around us. And it is in us. And we have all sinned. And we're all guilty. And the world stands condemned. But that is not the end of the story. 
That's not the end of the story. There is more. There is more to the story. Yes, all have fallen sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, all creation groans for redemption. But this season, this Advent season, right? I remind you, we have hope. There is hope this Advent season that the darkness, the sin, the brokenness in our heart and in the world is not the last word. The last word is Jesus. The last word is his love. Jesus is the hope of the world. Because as the beloved disciple John said in the beginning of his gospel, in him was life, and that life was the light of all of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? That is the substance of our hope. That darkness has not overcome the light, which is Christ. In fact, he's overthrown the darkness, and a new dawn is coming. Right? That's what Christmas is about. Um, actually, I, I read this in my call to worship, Luke 1, 78 through 79. And maybe some Advent will study the songs of praise around Jesus, because they're really good. But in Luke 1, 78-79, it reads, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. There's a rising sun to shine on those living in darkness. I mentioned earlier, right, that the, this opening scripture that I read, the, the big Isaiah portion, that it's a lament, it's a song of sorrow. But like many laments, it doesn't stay in grief. It can't. Grief is part of the song. Maybe even the longest part of the song. But it's never the end of the song. This lament asks for God to show himself as he once did. And because Israel forgot God, and they abandoned him. right? But then in verse 8, there's a change. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. You are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are your people. God, don't leave us like this. Hope is found in you. Reshape us, remake our lives. Yes, our lives are like clay. Yes, that clay's gotten a little mashed up. But you can remake us in your image, you know? Need it a little bit so it's soft. Do not let us be dark and lost in the dark forever. And that's what we can declare this Christmas season. That there's hope. That there's hope. Um, I was praying with the staff this week um, about whether or not I should share this uh, testimony because I just kind of felt convicted to, to share um, something with you. And uh, this was this part of my testimony. And uh, I, I, I share... I share lots of things with you guys. I, I'm, I try to be a very transparent person. But, um, I mean, let's face it, right? I, I write out my scripts, right? My sermons. I pick and choose what I share. I don't share every bit of me because some things it's just like, one, I'm still dealing with the baggage of it, and so it's not fair for me to share that with you because I put unjust burdens. Um, and sometimes, I, you know, I don't want you guys to, I don't want you to feel the wrong thing. But, um, you know, I, I've been praying about it. And I was like, and I said, I wanted to share this testimony with you. But many of you know that um, I grew up in an abusive household. Uh, my father was very physically abusive to my mother. And then when they divorced, um, he received custody because he could speak English. And, um, you know, you know, he was a man and he was white. And it just fit better. And uh, so he had custody. And then he became abusive with me. 
And I don't just mean with words. I mean like with fists and belts and kicks and all that stuff. And then when I was kicked out at 16, he, you know, then he became abusive to my sister. So, uh, because abusers are going to abuse. So there's a pattern. Now, um, I never knew really any pattern to his abuse. Except for at Christmas time. As the days would move closer to Christmas, um, I don't know if it was the stress of the season or because we were very poor um, or what, but he would just snap. And around Christmas Eve, um, you know, he would just lose it. Right, you know, maybe a little bit before, but he would just lose it. And there would just be a monster beating. And, uh, and, and to be fair, maybe this only happened three or four times. But in my, in my memory, right, it's every Christmas. Right? In my memory, it's every Christmas. I, I honestly cannot remember childhood um, Christmas where this did not happen. But, so my dad, would, he would beat me. And then in his guilt and his shame, right, he'd eventually, he'd leave the house. He'd leave. And then, uh, you know, I'd gather myself, you know, maybe my sister, and I'd go retreat to the bedroom, right, to hide, to sleep, whatever, to forget. And while we're sleeping, my dad would go out and he'd buy extravagant gifts. Things we could never afford. Like TVs and Nintendos and stereos and remote control cars and whatever else. Lots of electronics because they're really expensive. Right? So anything to like kind of pacify that guilt that he felt for his atrocious behavior. And the thing is, we couldn't afford it. So a couple of days after Christmas, There'd always be a break-in. The house would be broken into or something. And all of our stuff would be stolen. And all the gifts that we got for Christmas would be gone again. And we'd be left with nothing. Right? Everything would be returned or pawned or sold. Now, all of this had left me with a very cynical attitude towards Christmas. Um, I do not get nostalgic at Christmas time. I get surly. I get bitter. And maybe this is something that's happened to some of you, some of your life. But then something happened. About 14 years ago, Alyssa and I started having children. And God showed me that I cannot let the pain of my past define their future. Because sin does not have the last word in my life. The love of Christ does. And bit by bit, this season, which for most of my life has been a season of grief and of bitterness, has been transformed into a season of hope. A time when we, as our family, we have special devotions at dinner time, where we sing songs of joy and of peace, where we put up decorations and we schedule parties. Many of you know we we have a birthday party for Jesus every year, right? With cake and everything. Um, and this came out of us just trying to lean into the work of love and love of Christ in our lives because he's done something. And there's been challenges, right? Not perfect. Um, my wife smiles when I said that. Um, like many in our congregation, right? The fa our family's been struck by grief around this time too. Just last... Thanksgiving, many of you know that one of our closest friends, um, so, you know, a, a person, we went on, we went on our honeymoon with uh, this person and her husband, like, a, you know, family, 
um, she tragically died, uh, leaving behind two young teenage sons and a guilty and grief-stricken husband. Like, sin is real. Brokenheartedness is real. Its effects are real. The world is not as it should be. And let's face it, sin can mess you up. But the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I fully believe that. And God still molds me, bit by bit, as a potter molds clay. Even in lamenting and grief, God reshapes me and directs me to Him. And many of you have stories of darkness as well. Testimonies of the dark places in your past and in your heart. And I say to you, remember that in that darkness, the light of Christ has come. It is come, and it will come. And the darkness cannot overcome it. So this Advent, I encourage you to hold on to hope, to hold on to peace, to hold on to joy, to hold on to love, because Christ has come. And he will come again. And I've learned, I'm learning I have learned and I am learning to love this time of year, right? And, and yes, I can speak. I can give a sermon on the crassness and commercialization and generic fake-cheer of Christmas. I can say, yes, all of that is terrible and I hate it. I can tsk, tsk, tsk with the best of them. However, rather than just condemn it, I'm learning to see it all as a sign, a sign that the world is desperate for something to worship. Right? Desperate for a hope in the darkness. A hope that I've experienced. And so I've, I've learned to rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And to both I say, yes, we have a hope. There is a hope. His name is Jesus. And so rather than offering like the bah humbugs of my youth, right? I'm learning to say Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Let's celebrate. That's right. There is hope. Praise Jesus. Merry Christmas. There's a party coming. And I pray that you can remember that this season as well. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are our hope. And Lord, I pray that we do remember you. We remember your goodness. We remember your grace. We remember your mercy. You remember your salvation this Christmas. And the Lord... For those that are grieving, we cry with. For those that are celebrating, we celebrate with, Lord. And in all we say, there is a hope. His name is Jesus. May he be more real to all of us this season. In Christ's name I pray, amen.